0: Thanks for tuning in to the Berman Hour Podcast. Before we begin, I'd like to ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, the Berman Hour Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Jeff Berman. By rating and reviewing and subscribing to this podcast, it is incredibly helpful. It's a small thing to do. It doesn't take much time. So wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, hit that pause button, give us a five-star rating, write a couple nice words, and hit that subscribe button. I cannot tell you how incredibly helpful that is. Well, I did just tell you. It's very helpful. So please do it. And thanks for tuning in to the Berman Hour Podcast. Hello and welcome. The Berman Hour podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. I have a great episode for you this week. I had the opportunity, the privilege, really, to interview one of my favorite songwriters, Mr. Brian Moss, otherwise known as Hanalei. You might remember Brian from his band Ghost, which was a Chicago area band in the early two thousands. Or, of course, Great Apes, which were a great punk band from the San Francisco Bay Area. Or even in the late 90s, when I actually met Brian in 1999, he was playing in a band called The Wonder Years. Not to be confused with the pop-punk band called The Wonder Years of today. For whatever it's worth, Brian had that name first, just so you know. But ahead of Hanalei's new record that's out on AF Records this week which is called Black Snow, I had the opportunity to talk to Brian. He and I have played together a number of times over the years. But, you know, when you're in a venue and I'm getting ready to play or he's getting ready to play, it's never entirely set up to have any sort of real conversation. And now that we're living in a pandemic and shows aren't happening at all, even the semblance of any conversations like that are clearly not happening. So it was really nice to sit down. Although we were on other sides of the continent here, it was great to sit down with Brian Moss and talk about him ahead of his new record, Black Snow. One of the perks of having this podcast, truth be told, is that when people reach out or I reach out to artists or managers or labels, they say, here's the new record, you can hear it before it comes out, and that was the case with Decent Criminal last week, and that was the case with Brian Moss's new Hanalei record, Black Snow, which is a fantastic record. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. There's been a few singles that have been released already. Great songs. I know Screen Echoes was one of them and Bristlecone Queen. Uh, but I, the, my favorite songs that we talk about in this interview have not yet been released. So if you like what you've heard in the singles, uh, and, and hopefully you do, I know that you're going to love the rest of the record even more, just as I did. So without much further ado, let's get into it. My interview with Brian Moss. As a side note, I feel like there's just as many kind of awkward, emo posing with a lip ring photos of Brian Moss on the internet as there are of me. So that's just another thing that we have in common. Anyway, my conversation with Brian Moss, a.k.a. Hanalei, and be sure to pick up his new record on AF Records, which comes out this week called Black Snow. Until then, enjoy the interview with Brian Moss, a.k.a. Hanale
1: And I, I feel you too on trying to, you know, close things up because we were up in the mountains for the early stages of the pandemic. And then, you know, we're we our intention was to go back to San Francisco for a month, pack our stuff up and move to the central coast. And it, it was a very similar experience. You know, I didn't get to see very many people. It was, you know, limited to probably five friends at a distance outside. And I certainly didn't get to do any of the things um, that I, I generally enjoy in
0: San Francisco.
1: Yeah. And that is like pack the bags and you're kind of shut in somewhere else.
0: So I, I hear you. Yeah. What compelled you to move to the central coast?
1: Um, you know, at, my wife and I have been wanting to get out of San Francisco for a while, not because uh, we don't think it's an amazing place. Obviously it's changed, but overall I love it. Uh, it's just not sustainable economically for us. Um, and especially so after having a child, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the traffic and some of the cultural shifts there were really getting to me. And I, I hadn't made a big change in a long time. So that was uh, the most, I think, compelling part of it. And, you know, the Central Coast is very nice. It's uh, there's not a lot of population density uh, at this point in my life. I've lived in cities for so long that any rural uh, area is appealing to me. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, as far as coastal California is concerned, it's affordable, (laughs) you know, or, or in, in contrast to San Francisco, but you know, it's, it's still not affordable if you're looking at things on a national level. Are you
0: surfing there or were you in the warmer months?
1: Uh, no, I've been, I've been surfing multiple times weekly, you know, that that's, that's keeping my head on straight, I think down here. And I just, it, that's something I've used for years as, uh, I'm reluctant to say something that's meditative, but it's definitely soothing and calming. And I generally find myself in a, in a better mood and in a better place after surfing.
0: I was always scared to surf in the central coast because I just had an understanding that there were sharks everywhere. (laughs) It's, it's,
1: it's super sharky within a month of being here. Uh, a, A friend I met through work and I were out surfing and a guy yelled us out of the water and was just claiming that uh, a white cruise right behind us, like fully. He's claiming he saw the dorsal. So I, I don't know. When someone says that, I don't question it. Yeah. <laughs> so I got out of the water <laughs> really quick,
0: but just get the fuck. Yeah, out. I guess it makes sense to start. You know, you have a new Hanalei record coming out. It's coming out in March, correct? Next month.
1: Yes, I, th- I think, you know, we're, we're premiering singles now, um, and, you know, through February, I think into early March, and then I believe pre-orders go up kind of early, mid-March, and hopefully the vinyl will be available shortly
0: thereafter. Yeah, how did you land with AF? Because it's not the most, it makes sense to me, and because of that, I like it, but I kind of nerd out to how labels operate and how they're the resiliency that labels have and AF has always kind of been on my radar. So how does a Hanalei record end up on AF? Right. And,
1: you know, I think stylistically, uh, it, it doesn't, not, not that there's a mold these days. I feel like the label has really branched out in recent years and become, uh, you know, increasingly more diverse, which is great. Um, but yeah, just at a, you know, at a first glance, so to speak, it doesn't, it doesn't seem expected. Um, However, given my roots and you know the years that I've put into punk, uh, I, I'm, when I'm looking for a label, I, I, it, I'm undoubtedly going to ask uh, a couple of labels that are primarily affiliated with that genre. Um, I immensely respect Anti-Flag. I respect Chris. He's a very inspiring person. Uh, I enjoy a lot of the bands on the label. And really, you know, my, my take on, on pitching records is if uh, a label is unenthusiastic or you have to really sell it, uh, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And by no means is that because I think that whatever it is that I'm doing at any given time is phenomenal. I've definitely released some records that I'm embarrassed (laughs) of and um, but it's, it's like, you know, I, I, I could make the comparison of like, do you want to date someone that's, that feels lukewarm about you or just kind of, I don't know, they're, they're okay. You know, it's, uh, so, you know, having said that Chris's enthusiasm was evident, uh, in, in our early conversations. And that, that was huge to me, you know, sure. having someone on board that's familiar with my work, um, uh, that is, is behind, uh, the record that. I'm pitching or looking for someone to release. That's that's kind of everything, uh, and and that was there uh, with with this label. So
0: for sure. Now you've and I have played together a number of times, and because you're so kind with your time and your uh, your energy into doing this, still while we were both still living in LA and San Francisco, respectively, I have an understanding of the vibe of Hanalei in the past four or five years because we've shared stages a few times but what i've seen and what i've experienced when we've played together is on a technical basis much different than how the recordings are from the records that you did in the previous decade was it always in your mind that this upcoming record was going to be a hanalei record or did you ever kind of toy with the notion that maybe it could be a a variation of a great apes record or maybe something even under the moniker of your own namesake how did it land into the Hanalei category of the canon of your career?
1: Uh, that's a great question. So uh, first of all, I, I will say that very early on, uh, I intended it to be a Hanalei record. Uh, the writing process began, I, I tr- I'm trying to remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure, I don't think Great Apes was was in the bag yet, but uh, it, it was clear that was coming, you know, that was a very amicable split. Uh, And apparently an indefinite hiatus, whatever that (laughs) means. But, um, you know, I knew that I didn't really have that as an outlet. Uh, So I I began writing with the intention of, hey, I'm going to self-record most of this record and I want to play everything on it um, except for drums and maybe bass. And I ended up playing bass on it. Um, and you know, I, I think that certain songs on the record could have easily translated to great apes. Uh, there, there was actually, there was kind of just like a barn burner punk song that I ended up wiping from the record because it, it, it stood out too much. And I I already think the record's diverse and there's the fine line there with, uh, what level of diversity and sound is acceptable versus just the song that seems entirely out of place. Um, but anyhow, yeah, I did really in, intend this to be a Hanalei record uh, from the formative stages. And, you know, I, I will say that considering that I've used the moniker of Hanalei for anything I've done that's solo based uh, and occasionally full band based for, fuck, like two decades. Yeah. It's kind of just my my intention with it uh, as, as a kid was anything goes with this. And I've I've, I've kind of stuck to that. Uh, and it seems like this record, in particular, to me, feels like a culmination of, of a lot of different things I've done. Um, and there are elements from, uh, you know, multiple genres that I, that I've touched on. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely not going to say in my musical career, in my hobbies <laughs> over, over the decades, but yeah. No,
0: you can call it that. I, I think it's fair at this point. You know, it's been. God, when was the first Hanalei record on Thick? What was that, 2005, 2004?
1: Oh, shit. I don't even well, It was know, in that ballpark, yeah, uh, so it's, it's been uh, a yes, long I, time. One of, those, one of those years. I think you're, you're probably right
0: there. Yeah. What was the recording process like for this? You mentioned in the bio that, uh, you know, I'm inclined to give your publicist a uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, thumbs up because he's my publicist too. But uh, when I saw the bio, I saw in it that you had mentioned that you started writing the song around the time that you found out that you and your wife were expecting your first child. As I'm going through it now, I realize it's such a deeply personal feeling, like that feeling of anxiety or that feeling of fear and excitement I would feel like maybe you might be compelled to say, yeah, I'm going to work on these songs, but I'm going to kind of keep them close to the chest and I'm not going to be kind of sharing it. It's going to be more of a proper solo record. Was there ever that thought or did you decide that, you know, I I want this Hanalei record to have essentially a full band vibe while still being kind of known for something that was primarily a solo project? Does that make sense? Like, did you always want it to kind of be somewhat of a full band experience?
1: Yeah, and, and going back, I think, to the prior question, a, a lot of that likely stemmed from the fact that I did not have a full band outlet. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, the kind of the vulnerability and the intimacy that you're hitting, hinting at in the question, um, you know, I think that's spot on. And, and maybe making it a little louder, putting some other instruments on top of it kind of uh, conceals that a little bit or, or makes it uh, more palpable for me. It is a vulnerable record. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, firstly, Jeff, I, I think that climate change, which is what it's loosely themed mm-hmm. around, um, you know, in conjunction with, with being a new parent, that's the thing in itself as is the, uh, mixed bag of emotions that comes with, uh, finding out you're going to be a parent. Uh, there, there certainly are people out there that, Oh, it's, it's, Everything about it is just sheer love and joy, blah, blah, blah. And certainly that's there, but that's not really an honest depiction of it. And then you get into societal or social norms about how to talk about things like this. Um, So, you know, I, I, I just say openly that I think for anyone that's expecting, you know, there, there, there are going to be emotions on all sides. It's um, there, there are obviously a lot of good ones and then ones that lead to anxiety or that lead to questions. Um, and then, you know, coupling that with uh, pre-existing anxiety that I had surrounding climate change and, uh, you know, without getting in, into sheer details, having kind of seen things firsthand in places that I love, um, the two just really merged for me. Um, and that was one of my initial real concerns with having, having a child, you know, what, what kind of world am I bringing a child into what kind of world am I leaving a child with? Um, and, and that, that really kind of spurred the writing process. I read all the lyrics before touching the guitar on it. Really? Yeah. Which That's is, so,
0: I, I, you <laughs> know, cause I had this written down as a question. You, many of your songs are quite geographic, which is something I've always loved about your songwriting but they're also very poetic. And I was curious because they're so poetic if they came first and then you put the music to them. So it's interesting to find out that that's what you do. Yeah.
1: I mean that, and that's not um, always my process, Jeff, but it's a, it's a, it's an approach I've used in the past, but never with a full record. Uh, You know, I'd say generally with the, with the great ape stuff, and the majority of my work preceding that, um, I, I've done it the other way around, right? Like you come up with uh, kind of a hook or some chords you like and then build a song out and then work work the lyrics around a melody that's in your head or whatnot. Um, but with this, I really wanted to emphasize the writing and act, actually, you know, putting... A pen to paper or fingers to the keys, that was uh, a lot of the catharsis for me and, and my, my way of kind of coping with with the stress, the anxiety, the, the occasional bouts of depression that, that came with this. Sure.
0: And something on first pass through the record, I noticed that there's not decipherable, easily decipherable choruses. There are parts of songs that act as choruses and... On the second round of listening to the songs, I was able to kind of recognize that it's more your the statement, the bigger statement of what you're saying, the piece, if you will, is more important than any singular part that you are intending to necessarily make more memorable for the listener.
1: So quickly, um, the, there's there's kind of two components here. <laughs> Number one, I am. Uh, horrible at writing choruses, I think, for the most part. Um, I don't, I don't have that that pop gift. I think that I've, you know, written some catchy parts here and there, but you know, I've I've encountered so many friends and so many people just in music that just seem to have have uh, ease when it comes to that. Um, so sometimes for me, you know, I, I'll walk out of finishing a song and be like, you know, fuck that verse is should be the chorus or <laughs> like, why couldn't I get the right hook in? Um, so there, there's that. And then, you know, as, as you're saying too, I, it's, it, it's really about the lyrics and the message here for me. Um, and you know, the music is kind of the vehicle that that carries that with this record. Uh, so, you know, like, yes, you'll have your, your B part. Um, but the lyrics won't repeat, right? They'll, they'll differ. If you want, if we want to say chorus, chorus to chorus, the lyrics could be completely sure. different.
0: So, Yeah. Absolutely. After you became a father, did that change the tone of what you were writing about as you were kind of compiling songs for this record?
1: I I wrote it all before. I, I think I saved the last song, which is the it, that's kind of the
0: I have to, thematically. Yes, I have to ask you about that later, but but continue. Yeah. I sure. Yeah,
1: that you know, that that one's about kind of a an imagined conversation between a father and a son. Um, and the son really, you know, pulling the father up out of, uh, you know, the, the, ditches of despair and, you know, kind of wallowing in, 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 this like pessimism and, oh, the world is fucked kind of mentality. But that was the only song I wrote lyrically after my son's birth. Um, I, I think mentally where I'm at now, yeah, my outlook is, is, is different. Um, but yeah, it was all written
0: basically before he was born. Well, then for the purpose of conversation, I'm going to continue down this because that was a standout song to me because it felt like it was ever so slightly a bit of optimism for what was otherwise a rather pessimistic record. And I don't mean that in a negative way. The songs are, are fantastic, and I hope you, know, you and AF sell 10,000 records, of course. But the songs are, are dark, and they're deep, and they're often you know the content is is legitimately worrisome but that last song felt as if it was more along the lines of a a, a self pep talk i don't i didn't have the lyrics but from what i could hear there was a line i'm carried by my generation's willingness to change rather than wallow in apathy now what you right. just explained to me was that in the story of the song the son saying that to the father or is the father saying that to the son
1: yeah, so that's the son saying that to the father, but then you have this sense that the father's um, outlook has shifted to at the end of the song. But I am not offended in the slightest either, Jeff, by referring to the record as dark because it is it is pitch black, fucking dark. And um, you know that that song is kind of the the bit of optimism, as you said. Um, and you know another thing I think worth noting is that the the lyrical uh cynicism is is um you know juxtaposed with often you know there's some slower songs in there but there's also a lot of just really kind of poppy ones that have these really dark lyrics and that's i think for me that was a way to balance it if that makes sense yeah. um but yeah that last song is is I, I i agree it's absolutely the most optimistic song on the record and you know, it's the the placement of it at the
0: end and the title was very much intentional. So the record's ten songs. That's the tenth song, if my if my correct. math is correct. So that's going to be the end of side B for those keeping track yeah. at home. The end of side A would that be the track Regional Manager?
1: Uh, I would have to look at the vinyl sequencing, but it's, I would I, I would think it's so. Somewhere yeah, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And
0: and those two songs really st- kind of stood apart for me because they contrasted so much, whereas Regional Manager was the most doom-ridden, pessimistic vibe. Uh, It was just like a deeper, obvious pessimism. That contrast was quite striking to me because it was reminiscent of something that I've noticed in a lot of your songs, regardless of the, the project that they've been a part of. But it seems as if many of your songs it's as if you're speaking to being certain that the ones who are causing the damage to the environment or the planet or the ones that are causing such rapid change to the city of San Francisco have some self-awareness and have some understanding of the consequences of their actions. Is that kind of the internal dialogue that you have for a lot of what you write about? Because it's, it's as if you're observing it, but are you having in these songs? Are you having these conversations in your in your own head, Brian? Or are you having them with other people?
1: Uh, I mean, <laughs> real or fictional
0: antagonists, like yeah.
1: Jeff. Jeff, thanks again. Like that's I, you know, I wish more people asked me questions like this. Um, and I would say a lot of that is is in my head. Sure, I I talk to people about this, but again, writing for me is is very much a coping mechanism. Put that pen to paper or punch a wall or get loaded or uh you know not don't be the best friend don't be the best husband don't be the best father um for me i need this and you know the irony here is yes there there is a ton of anger in it um and 100% i want these people to be held accountable and uh, you know in referencing back as you did to uh playland by the you know or playland at the beach i was furious at that time in my life and i i like I, I was so bitter and negative all the time. And I, I, you know, my, my take on San Francisco shifted later, but that was my way of dealing with it. And with that, and with this record, the irony here is, is that those fuckers, that, that really changed the landscape of San Francisco and the countless individuals and corporations and governments that are, you know, destroying our planet and, potentially making it uninhabitable for future generations, it's not like they're going to listen to this record. And that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the bummer here. Right. So it's kind of like you get into this preaching to the choir aspect, um, which is frustrating, but again, you know, really just going to the root of it. It's, it's the process itself that, that um, I need. And, you know, I I hope that I, I guess with a record like this, I, I would just hope that it, it inspires um, other people to be a little more active or to make changes when it comes to uh, say environmentalism or environmental intersectionality uh, you know, I'm, I'm teaching a lot of this too, Jeff. And yeah, literally just this morning, I, I woke up to an email from a student uh, in, in one of my AP classes that expressed to me that they had had a like episodic depression for the entire weekend on account of um, having some discussions about environmental issues. We were looking at uh, Greta Thunberg's speech and, you know, this, the student was absolutely demolished by it. And that I think is something that we need to be aware of, like the anxiety of what is, what's going to be left in 30 years and 40 years, while, you know, you and I will be uh, very old at that point, <laughs> if, if we're still breathing. Um, but, you know, this is, they're they're dealing with what we're leaving behind and what what prior generations have left behind, and I, I think that a lot of people don't really comprehend the level of anxiety that uh, the, the youth is dealing with on a, on account of all this, and it's 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 fucking horrifying, you know?
0: Yeah. Real quick, here I'd like to interrupt this interview with Brian Moss, aka Hanalei, to let you know that this week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is sponsored by New Wave. And flow state coffee. Go to NewWave.co slash Berman. That's N-O-O-W-A-V-E.co slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Newwave.co slash Berman gets you 10% off when you place an order for your coffee. And I'll tell you why you need to do this. First of all, it's the best damn coffee on the marketplace. It's coffee that's blended with raw Cacao and an amino acid called L-theanine that naturally reduces your stress and anxiety. This coffee was specifically designed to set your brain into what they call a flow state. It's not an altered state. You're not going to get high from this. You're not going to get a rush or a buzz. No. It sets your brain into an optimum performance mode so you can get done what you need to get done. You can stay focused, but most importantly, you don't have the negative side effects that often come with drinking caffeine or drinking too much coffee. No shakes, no jitters, no increased blood pressure, and most importantly, at least for me, no anxiety. So go to newwave.co slash Berman, get 10% off your order of New Wave's Flow State Coffee, and every time you do that, they kick us over some bucks, some coinage, right, some cheddar to help pay for the production costs of this here Berman Hour podcast Every little bit helps. You guys have been awesome in supporting them. They're a brand new company. They have top-notch customer service. I actually ordered some coffee incognito from them last week just to see what the process was like. And let me just say, I wish every time I had to order something online, which seems like every freaking day at this point in the pandemic, I wish that all companies had such stellar customer service as New Wave has. So get your New Wave Flow State coffee, noowav eco slash B-E-R-M-A-N right now. Save money, get some money, kicked back to the Berman Hour podcast. Now, let's get back to our interview with Brian Moss, a.k.a. Hanalei. The fight that that you're having, and I'll throw myself into the same figurative boat as you, where we get at times consumed by the fear and anxiety and the, the reality of this climate crisis, And coming to terms with our understanding as humans, why we're here, how we got here, all of that. These are questions that humans have been dealing with for thousands upon thousands of years and been writing about in detail for at least the past handful of centuries. How do you think that that plays out into a generation that is so easily and quick to communicate with one another and so willing to communicate with one another, even back when we were kids, the thought of of two people like you and I on different coasts becoming friends seemed crazy. And now, you know, students can can learn from other students their age and, and learn about things that are happening and and positive changes that are being made because of the access to the internet and and the advent of the information age. Do you have bits of optimism about this in terms of change or are you just kind of reality driven all the way through where does it fall for you not in terms of you as a songwriter per se in terms of this Hanalei record but just as as a as a human right and uh you know i i I think i'm constantly grappling with my
1: pessimism and negativity i'm i'm very aware of the fact that uh, i can tend to lean there at times And often that's mood dependent or what I'm going through with my life. Um, And I'm increasingly trying to be a more positive person Um, in terms of, you know, the the Internet. That's such a a, a, another just great question. Um, There are obviously a ton of benefits to the way that information can be spread so rapidly. In contemporary times, and there are also obviously so many negative effects of that. Um, specifically, you know the the, the spread of, uh, of of lies. Yeah, the second pandemic. Misinformation. The misinformation right, and pandemic. It's partially optimistic and, and partially pessimistic. There, um, you know, there are, there are so many incidents that we could cite where the internet has been used to spread knowledge that has led to, um, immense positive change. And there are, you know, so many bits of negativity too out there. Um, and you know, where it, it, I don't know, it's, it's like, you know, it, this makes me think of never read the comments, right? Like <laughs> sure. I, I looking at just there, I had so many friends over the past four years that just, you know, took the approach of like, I'm, I'm going to leave these people that are, you know, it's, it's just politics, but you know, in reality, they're like, they're blatant fucking racist. They just don't know it. And, uh, you know, they leave them on, I'm going to have a healthy debate with them. And then you just, you read the comments and you see just like the lack of logic or, you know, people calling individuals that uh, I would say are actually free thinking, calling them sheep when everything that they are putting out there in, you know, into the ether of the internet uh, is basically like regurgitated spoon fed bullshit. Uh, That's super frustrating. Um, You know, we, I, we could talk for hours about this, um, but just, you know, kind of on the base level uh, if, if knowledge is power, right. And if, if knowledge and awareness if that spread with fact and empathy and care in mind, it's, it's immensely powerful, but I, I do really feel like, you know, if we're just going to look at social media there, there again needs to be accountability and regulation. And then you get into the whole free speech bit, but uh, it's, there needs to be regulation of, of hate speech and uh, s- spreading just f- false garbage around, you know, and, and posing it as truth. And it, it, what's scary lately is, the, the lack of, of questioning, um, out there, you know, like I, and it's a lot of this is, I think attainable to education and privilege, but, uh, you know, I, I was taught and I taught myself to, and I think punk rock had a lot to do to do with this, to, to question things, right? Like, don't just assume something's fact, um, really dig in, figure it out for yourself or go to sources that you trust. And just, you know, the perpetual lack of that, that we're seeing right now is, uh, you know, frustrating would be an, an understatement. Enraging seems seems more fitting. Are you optimistic by what you see from the young people that that you teach? Absolutely. I, th- I think that there, and and maybe part of this is because of the internet, but the 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 level of awareness um, that say now, you know, I used to be a middle school teacher for ten years, and now I'm in high school, and you know, the the awareness the empathy, the concern, the passion seems a lot more heightened than it was per se when I was in high Mm -hmm. school. Uh, And, you know, maybe I'm rewriting memories, but uh, it's it's very inspiring. And, you know, this year, I think teaching on Zoom and just dealing with the year as a whole and dealing with just rampant and understandable mental health issues that, that, that students are going through. It's been insanely hard. I've never, uh, worked harder in my life, but the rewards have been, um, equal to that. And it's, I'm, I, I feel more inspired than I have been in a long time. That's great. Um, and that, and that's because of work, not music, you know? Um, so,
0: yeah, that's great. If you don't mind me asking, what grade levels are you teaching?
1: So currently I'm teaching 11th grade um, college prep language arts, which is just, your you know, your standard language arts class and then advanced placement, 12th grade AP language, which is more of, in, you know, you, you have AP literature, just more of the literary analysis angle. And then the, the 12th grade AP lang is composition and writing based. Yeah. Have
0: you been in the classroom at all yet this academic year?
1: No, um, we're uh, the the county where I live, which is San Luis Obispo County. Um, is the plan at least for my district? Other districts uh, have varied approaches, but for for us, once the county goes red tier for three weeks, then we're back in. Um, and students and families that don't feel comfortable going back in can can still remain in in the distance mm-hmm. learning model, which is, is great for them. Um, I, at this point, you know, I, I'm hoping I get vaccinated before that happens. I I don't, I'm not very confident about that, (laughs) but, um, you know, to some degree, this is my duty. This is what I signed up for. Am I, am I fully happy with it? No, but, uh, you know, there, there certainly is a case to be made that certain students are really suffering by not having the socialization that they would, um, or, you know, especially special needs students, they, they need to have that, that contact and that, that in-person, uh, delivery of curriculum too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very complicated. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been in the distance model this whole time. It's a very strange way to start a new job. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure. Let me kind of take a step back. We got into the record right away, which is fine because it's a great record, but I want to ask you a little bit about your past in the world of music. And something that I thought of when I was trying to decipher how many of these songs on this new record actually have decipherable, for sure, I know it's choruses. And now that you've told me, on top of that, now that you've told me that you're not really focused on writing choruses, you just want to make the songs good, it very much rings to me that you are a student of the chicagoland area emo midwestern punk vibe whatever we want to call it because a lot of those bands your braids and and whatever it's like they the the songs were good but they were never the most straightforward do you think that the time that you spent in chicago has influenced your songwriting even till today or do you think that because you're so embedded in the Bay area that the thing that you hear when you hear back your own music is that of prior Gilman days of, of of your, so Chicago
1: um, did and continues to profoundly, uh, you know, influence me and affect me. You know, in short, growing up around Berkeley and El Cerrito, obviously I had access to Gilman Street and Berkeley Square. I mean, I'll just quickly put this in, but the the way I got into punk, I was listening to shitty metal bands and uh, some grunge stuff. And I I had three friends, and two of them had older brothers in bands. One of those bands was the Winona Riders, and the other one was Op Ivy. Op Ivy had completely dissolved at this point. This is, you know, like mid late 90s. Um, So that was kind of an introductory point. And yeah, I I mean, I was completely obsessed with lookout records. I was at the Berkeley square and Gilman all the time, you know, into some just awful ska punk. And um, you know, I, I, I loved every minute of it, but my, I got into, you know, I was, I definitely, I saw Fugazi once in high school and then once after high school at Dolores park. And I was, You know, starting to like test the waters with um, other, I'd say, you know, subgenres of punk, if you will. Um, But I I didn't really have the exposure. I don't think that I needed to that. You know, there's a band on on lookout that I really liked, Uranium Nine Volt, which was definitely doing a bit of that in the Bay Area. Um, But uh, moving to Chicago was, and and really, it wasn't just the move; it was being fortunate enough to get uh, shifts at Fireside Bowl and working there and then working in music venues basically the entire time that I was there. I mean, I was exposed to music constantly. And yeah, you know, the the literal unity of, of the music community in Chicago, you know, people talk about that in California. But, you know, Jeff, you lived in Los Angeles. It's more like a war and a competition. There's no camaraderie a lot of the time. And But in Chicago, that's not the case. And you know, just kind of the, the genre blending and the blending of comu- of communities and scenes was just so amazing there. And uh, yeah, getting, getting into uh, punk and bonkers fucking art rock, like seeing Arab on radar and bands like that, like it definitely changed my perspective. And, you know, it's like when I was still in the Bay Area before I moved to Chicago, I, yeah, a year or two, three years before I was listening to a lot of like old school emo and post-punk stuff. But I I think moving to Chicago and really being around music constantly and around different people and people that were sharing resources, sharing bands like that, that was life changing. And, um, you know, when I, when I did great apes too, it was kind of like I had done post hardcore stuff for a long time, you know, with the ghost and ole hole. And I was like, I just, I, you know, I had a hair at my ass about going back to the roots And then slowly but surely, Great Apes started throwing in songs that were a little weirder. I mean, given it was straightforward for the most part, but uh, you know, it's not. It's often not in me to to really write your your straightforward song.
0: Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Old San Francisco, and I want to introduce the idea of it in terms of how we met because we reconnected in 2013 and played together a few times that year. But we actually met in 1999. In San Francisco, are we going Kokadry? Kokadry, yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, it was the Wonder Years, your old band. Was that your first band? uh Now I was in some high school shit that I I, I I'm, I'm gonna just uh, <laughs> hesitate to mention. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So for all intents and purposes, the Wonder yes. Years were were the first. Yes. And my high school band. Do you
1: do you allow do you allow comments on your podcast, Jeff? Because someone's gonna out me, guaranteed. If you, well, do it, I but. hope they do.
0: Yeah, throw, throw the comment. <laughs> we're not. A fan. I do too. Um, my my band, my high school band, the Statics, and uh, Useless ID also played, which was kind of from Israel. Yeah, an Israeli band was there, and and I've still maintained a relationship with Yotam all these years. And I believe it was the Criminals that were the the headliner. Um, and that was nice because I was, you know, such a fan of 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 Jesse Blatz and, and everything that he had done. And I remember I was seventeen at the time. Do you remember how old you were at that point? Uh 99. I would have been uh eighteen or nineteen years okay. old. So we were all kind of in the same boat, but I was really naive. This was our first tour. I had never been west of the Mississippi, and here I was in San Francisco at the Cocodry. And I somehow stumbled into the kitchen of the Cocadry, and oh, you and I—there were dudes about this. doing cocaine, but I didn't pick up on it because I was still na- so naive. I'm still really naive when it comes to drugs. Like, is he?
1: Is that is that a chef? Is he tasting the pizza <laughs> dough flour with his nose? Like, what's
0: happening? I was just so I don't, thrown he, off. I was like, I don't know. And I told my drummer, who was older, I was the the baby in the band. Like all those years, everyone was so much older than me. And, you know, they, I essentially had to get snuck into these places because I was, I wasn't even 18 yet. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's cocaine. And I was like, oh, okay. Well then that's, that's,
1: I, I feel like you and I talked about this and like my naivety too, like, I don't remember that. And I didn't, I don't even think I knew what blow was until I saw it in Chicago, which I'm sure it was all around me you yeah. know, <laughs> prior to that. But yeah, anyways, sorry. no, no,
0: I, it's, it's the same thing. My, my, my. Naivety still is is so resounding. But something that I recognized on that tour was the special nature of San Francisco. And at that point, we were there kind of under the auspice of what was happening with TKO Records. Adeline Records was really big at the time. Fat was fat and is still fat, of course. And there was just kind of a a, a really great... Uh, vibe isn't the right word. It was just this epicenter of a lot of really great converging subcultures in san francisco you know it was also the first time i was ever in a gay bar it was the first time i was ever drinking in a bar i mean i was i was fucking 17 and every time i went back to san francisco over the years i could kind of see that that special nature had been it was chipping away and then it with every time coming back it was more and more there was less of what i recognized and since then, even the last time I was there, which I think was January of, of last year, so just about a year ago, um, you know, I, I started to kind of wrestle with, is this something that I'm actually experiencing, or is this what everybody experiences as they get older? And I'm curious your input because I know that you've put so much of your poetry of your songs into this topic, specifically about San Francisco, how you view the city, and do you kind of go back and forth between, yeah, there were a bunch of fucking techie assholes that moved in and, and changed things for the worse, or is it that combined with the fact that things change and my perspective has changed and I grew up a little bit and I moved away and then came back? Where do you land on that now? I'm, I'm glad that
1: you're you're stewing on this internally as well. Um, where, where I land on this now and even at the time, if you look at like around by the beach. Um, it's, it's certainly a combination. Um, I, I think that it, things shifted in that city, partially on account of the tech industry, partially on account of just hyper capitalism and unchecked um, you know housing markets. Uh, However, like, yeah, we're we're getting fucking older. Change is inevitable. And maybe we're not on the pulse anymore. I I still think that there is a a, maybe not so much San Francisco because it's so hard to live there as an artist. But, you know, the Bay Area, there's obviously just a a vibrant art scene um, and progressive scene. Uh, but it, you know, Jeff, absolutely, it's a combination of both. Um, change is inevitable. Shaking your canes inevitable, unless you're the most positive person ever. But they're, they're you know, the tech industry, certain individuals, uh, just the money as a whole in San Francisco is is I'd say bare minimum, partially to blame. Um, it's not everything, but it's it's a hundred percent a combination of. of both getting older and the inevitability of change and then people just being people and uh, the United States being the United States and
0: shit happening. Yeah. It's
1: not good. Yeah. So. I was
0: in Brooklyn a couple years ago on tour and I, I, I used to live there and apparently I used to talk about that a lot. And I was walking to a pizza place with a friend of mine and I said something, Oh, that's so crazy. When I used to live here, that was that, that was not that it was such and such place. And my friend Greg turned to me. Just the driest sense of humor just burned me so bad. He goes, oh, really, Jeff? You used to live here? And I just had that moment yeah. of like, oh, I'm turning into that. I'm turning into that guy. And I didn't want to be that guy. And I realized that I had, this might have been 2017, and Cold War came out in 2018. So I had like half a record in the bag ready to go that were songs that were kind of about that notion where you, know, you can give so much... Love and respect and rent, you know, and sweat equity into a city that feels nothing but indifference back to you. You know, like we can humanize a place, whether it be LA or, or New York City or San Francisco or Chicago, and it doesn't fucking matter. You know, like we're just a spoke on the wheel, the wheel's gonna keep turning. And I use that as a pivot point to write what I felt was a number of, if I may say so myself, excellent songs as have you, but now that I'm approaching 40, I feel like I have a better, I don't know, better makes it sound, that that's a lie, because I'm, I'm still pessimistic and crotchety as fuck, but I have a more balanced <laughs> approach to that, and I'm curious if what you're focused on with your songwriting beyond this record, are you still kind of holding on to that that bitterness and that anger, or was this record, and particularly with the last song, This Is Not The End, bringing it full circle, is this kind of a, a, d- a development for you to kind of branch into a, a different form of of how you choose to write about songs? As a father, you're not living in these big cities anymore what do you think?
1: I, w- I would love to sit here and say that, yes, that record was a turning point and that I'm, I'm moving in a, in a new direction. But, um, as I said earlier, you know, i I think I'm, I'm struggling with my own tendency towards pessimism and anger and being jaded constantly. And, uh, you know, as, especially as a father, I'm I'm really trying to work on that and the way that I present myself. And 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 honestly, Jeff, too. Like I have so much love, and I see so much beauty in the world. Um, and it's it, it's I I wouldn't say it's overwhelmed by the negativity and the hate and the suffering that I see, but I. I tend to think that that or, or that is just what inspires me to write more is is the problematic stuff out there and I get I get that it can be kind of uh, oppressive at times to just throw a record out that's just so bleak and dark um, but that's that's really what kind of gets me moving as as a creator um, and then you know to, to make light of this too it's so difficult lyrically to to write a, a really good happy positive song, it's um, I don't I just thought of this, but I it just popped in my mind. But you know, the arrivals, simple pleasures in America is a great one. Um, it's just it's it's not. I'm certainly not gifted when it
0: comes to um, writing upbeat and positive content. Yeah, know? that's 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 pretty good. Well, let's just end with this, and I hope this doesn't come across as kind of a, a standard question, but because the record. Is, is so poetic and so beautiful, but has, you know, such that, that streak of, 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 darkness to it. I'm curious how you feel the perspective of the record plays out since COVID because much of it, if not all of it, like you said, was written before that. And now we're living in a different world. Do you think that what's happened culturally, psychologically to a lot of us during this pandemic is, accurately represented in these songs, then they kind of take on a, a new meaning.
1: I, I really, I struggled with this. The, the second song on the record is called Antibody. And I, I wrote it easily a year before, um, you know, cases of this virus started sprouting up in, in China. Um, and the song is about a, a virus kind of wiping out the virus of humanity or cleansing the earth and it's its earth's defense mechanism. It's it's somewhat of a cliche idea, um, and I, I've I've felt really guilty about that song. Um, not to the point where I was going to wipe it by the off the record, but there was you know there were conversations about hey you know do we want to single this? And my response to that was was absolutely not. Um, you know I, I think that the the collective suffering and obviously that greatly varies person to person based right. on circumstances. Uh, but that that people have endured globally and nationally. Uh, I would really love to think that when this simmers down and with the political shift that's transpiring, not that it was the ideal one for me, but it's certainly an improvement. um, I I would love to think that we are all moving in the right direction, that people are going to be so much more appreciative of things that they took for granted before this, And and that you know, at at the risk of sounding completely corny, that love will prevail here, and that um, you know we have a long way to go. But that motive, just to be kind, to be empathetic, to appreciate what we have, um, to listen to other people—that that that is going to push us forward. Um, You know, that's what I'm hoping for. We'll we'll see how this plays out.
0: And there you have it, my interview with Brian Moss, otherwise known as Hanalei. And Hanalei again. Be sure to note that Hanalei has a new record out this week called Black Snow. It comes out on AF Records, and I highly encourage you to get a copy. Throw that thing on your turntable. I had a blast talking with Brian. I miss seeing him perform. I just I've always loved the way that he has crafted stories into his songs, and this record Black Summer exemplifies that to a T. So thanks again to Brian. Thanks again, of course, to everybody on his team. Thanks again to New Wave, Flow State Coffee. Go to newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Get yourself some coffee that's good for your brain. It helps out a new company with New Wave, and it helps out this podcast, the Berman Hour Podcast. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe. Wherever you're listening to the Berman Hour Podcast, if you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It is tremendously helpful. So until next week, thanks so much. Let's get it.